Hi, this is Pastor Wilson. Thank you for tuning into Renew Church OC. The exciting news is that we moved up the street to Brea's Curtis Theater, and we love it. We'd love for you to come to see the space in person. Our current series is Spiritual Resilience, where we walk through Ephesians chapter 6, learning how to put on the full armor of God in our daily lives. It's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle, but if we are blind to Satan's schemes, then we won't be able to fight back. I hope this series helps you see the battle and fight it with other believers. All right, everyone, if I could get your attention back up here, please. That's great. Hey, you guys seem really awake and excited. I'm so, so glad. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to Renew Church. I think maybe it's also because you got an extra hour sleep. Is that it? Yeah? You're even clapping for that, which makes it amazing, right? You guys are really excited. It makes my job a lot easier, right? If you guys are, are happy and excited and uh, want to, uh, to really get into this. All right, welcome to boot camp, everyone. I'm your drill sergeant, Dave Jung, and we are, thank you, and we are on our uh, third Saturday Sunday of Ephesians chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. And the reason why we're calling this a boot camp is we want to equip every one of you uh, here at Renew Church, every one of you for the spiritual battle that you face as soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been trying to uh, exhort and encourage you on. Every Christian who has named the name of Christ, who's born again, regenerate, a believer, is a soldier living, we said, in a war zone. Because that's what we are. This world is a war zone. And so last week, we studied that God has given us the greatest gift. Talk about a Christmas gift. The greatest Christmas gift that could ever be given for a soldier, and that is divine armor. That from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, uh, we have uh, the armor of God to achieve victory in this war zone life that we have. And remember, this boot camp is meant to be intensely practical, that every piece of armor is meant to be applied to your life. You were never meant to be a spiritual streaker or a spiritual stripper. Remember we talked about that, right? Sorry for, for, for uh, going back and sharing that, but it is true. That's sometimes how we are, trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. But you know, you were never meant to do that. And in this world, God gives us divine armor, that we are to put it all on, and to, we are to leave it on, and we are to use it daily in our Christian lives. Can I get an amen, soldiers of Christ? Amen. amen. Do you believe that, soldiers of Christ? Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Okay, if you believe that, let's all stand up. All right, stand to our feet. This is a boot camp. Come on. Put your coffee down. Put your donuts down, okay? This is a boot camp, and uh, I'm, I'm a terrible drill sergeant. I, I know. All right. And what we're going to do together is we're going to read the military manual together. We're going to recite it. And this is the truth of God's word. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, all together, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belts of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And all God's soldiers said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thanks so much, you guys. Let's give, each, let's give ourselves a hand. That was well done. The reading of God's word together. Now, verse 13 and 14, we see the word, it comes up, uh, we see the word stand. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Here the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the strategy for warfare. And it's found in the Roman imperial army, or the Roman legions. Uh, so the Roman wall was really their way of fighting. It was their strategy, it was their bread and butter way of conquering the known world. And the Roman wall was a heavy, it was heavy infantry fighting side by side with each other. Now I have uh, some clips I want you to see of the Roman wall and it will actually help you to understand what we're talking about, okay? So let's watch these clips together. I hope we have the clips. Oh! Ah! 
drunken fool. Reform! All right. Interesting, right? I don't know if you've ever watched Roman movies before, like Rome, about the Roman legions, right? But it's so interesting. I want you to notice that this is how the Romans fought. Uh, notice the posture, that Roman warfare was a disciplined warfare, that it was very measured, almost mathematical in the way that they would whistle and uh, change uh, the line. Uh, notice their engagement was very thought through. And I want you to also notice the teamwork that they had to work together. In that second clip, we saw Centurion Lucius Varinus punish the, war, uh, the soldier Titus Pullo because he wasn't working within that Roman wall. Why, why, why did he punish him? Because it jeopardized the team. And you know, when you think about it, that's exactly what spiritual warf warfare looks like for us. Paul hit the nail on the head. As Christians, we are called to be disciplined in the way that we conduct our battles. It's not emotional or passionate explosion like you saw the barbarian Celts or the Picts or the different groups fighting. No, it was very disciplined, almost routine in the way. That, and also, uh, it involved teamwork. Uh, you know, as Christians, we don't fight alone in our warfare. We have a Christian community that we work with together in order to advance, in order to be victorious. And uh, when someone's alone, it can jeopardize the team, right? So a Roman legion or Roman legionnaires uh, fought within this Roman wall system. And you needed two pieces of armor to stand firm in a Roman wall. And what were those two pieces? The shoes and the shield, right? Last week, we talked about the, breast, uh, the belt and the breastplate. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to talk about the shoes and the shield. If you're taking notes, let's look at the shoes of peace. The shoes of peace, peace. Verse 15, it says, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, when I was younger, in the 80s, I read a book by James Clavell called Shogun. Can we put it up, the clip? Uh, and it was a very popular book in the 80s. How many of you have read that? Maybe date yourself so I know. Okay, none of you. Okay, okay, it's all right. It's all right. Either you're young or you don't read, okay? That's okay. Either way, it's all right. All right. Oh, so, of course, Dr. Ken and I, we're so much alike. We're so much alike. We think, uh, anyway, I read the book by, uh, uh, by James Clavell called Shogun, and it's all about samurais. It's a very, very interesting book, right? Well, in one chapter, a powerful lord uh, sends ninja into Osaka Castle in the middle of the night to kidnap the protagonist. And uh, it was very important that the ninjas stealthily came in and they were able to kidnap uh, this person. But the plot was discovered and the alarm began to sound. And so samurai who were sleeping got out of their be beds in the middle of the night and uh, took their swords and began rushing to uh, attack the invaders. Now, as the ninja saw that uh, their mission was not going to work, uh, they began to escape. But as they uh, escaped, they did something really interesting. They threw poison caltrops on the ground. Now, you might say, what is a caltrop? Well, it kind of looks like this. Uh, uh, actually, uh, caltrops are a lot smaller. This is a scaled-up version. Uh, this was actually a home goods uh, thing. My wife buys a lot of these knickknacks and 
She puts it all over the house, you know, and I, I don't understand it, but, but this one actually works for me. I understood this one. I'm like, hey, this looks like a caltrop, okay? But if you can imagine, okay, instead of these dull points, that they'd be sharpened points, and they would take these little caltrops, almost the size of jacks, if you guys know what those are, and they would put them in poison, right, a lethal poison, and then they would put it in their ninja bags, right? And as they escaped, what they would do is they would throw hundreds, maybe thousands, on the ground as they uh, ran for their escape. Now, the samurai had just gotten up in the middle of the night. Uh, the alarm sounded, and so they were running to uh, fight these invaders. <coughs> and basically, caltrops, when you throw them on the ground, there's always three or four points sticking up. And so what the samurai would do is they'd start stepping on these caltrops in their bare feet. And I remember the, uh, the chapter where uh, James Clavell writes this. These samurai, they dreamed of victory on a battlefield, but they died a worthless death on a cold Osaka floor, all because they forgot to put on their shoes. And I thought, wow, how fitting that this is an example that every piece of armor is important to the soldier. And sometimes it's the shoes that are most important. And so we want to understand the Roman shoes, or what we call the caligate, if we could show a picture of that, okay? Uh, well, first of all, in order to understand that, you've got to look at a map of the first century, right? So Rome had conquered much of the known world. Uh, the, the places in orange uh, are the Roman Empire. And the single most important dimension of Roman conquest was the ability to move troops uh, from any part of their empire. So we've heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome. It's because of the ancient Roman road system that all of their empire uh, was replete with these roads that could get legionaries from one place to another. So the legionary needed a shoe that could be all purpose, okay? Uh, Rome's empire was vast. It included, if you look at the map, Europe, Africa, the Middle East, and soldiers had to fight in all possible terrain, mountain warfare, desert warfare, jungle warfare, plain warfare, every terrain possible. Now, I love shoes. My wife will attest. I probably have more shoes than my wife, okay? And it's not because I love styles. Uh, I love them a little bit now. My daughter's got me into a little bit of the styles. But really, I love shoes because of function. And so I have all kinds of different shoes. I have running shoes and basketball high tops, and taekwondo kicks, and soccer cleats, golf shoes, flip-flops, swim booties, hiking shoes, cowboy boots, sandals, dress shoes, work boots. I have all these kinds of shoes because I, like many of you who love shoes, want to be appropriate for every occasion and for every activity. Well, the legionary couldn't take a big bag of shoes for the diverse terrain that they would be involved in, so they needed a shoe that would flex to anything they would encounter in the field. And the Caligae did that. If we could show a picture of the Caligae. The Caligae were sandals. Sandals for mobility, for flexibility, for breathability. But not only that, they were made of a heavy leather. A heavier leather than other, uh, than other cultures. And that was made because uh, they wanted durability. They wanted protection against caltrops and foot traps that the enemy would set on the roads. And not only that, but what they would do is they would pound hobnails, if you can look at that picture, that were nailed into the bottom of the shoes, almost to form cleats. They kind of look like golf cleats, don't they? 
And this was for the stable footing that they needed to stand firm. So soldiers in basic formation would form a Roman wall. They would fight side by side. They would fight in, in tandem with one another. And the key to the victory of the Roman wall was to stand firm, to stand your ground. So all that said, what is our calige? What are our shoes? <clears throat> well, it's the gospel of peace, right? Gospel means good news. The idea of peace means confidence in our relationship with God. Now, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about our salvation experience. Many times when we see the word gospel, we think of when we got saved, our first, you know, when we were born again, our salvation experience. But remember, we have salvation already. The prerequisite for being in the army of God is that we are justified, that we are in uh, the family of God. That makes us uh, uh, appropriate for uh, the, the, the army that we're involved with. So this divine armor is not talking about salvation or being born again. What is it? What does it mean? Well, you know what's interesting? That there's another place that the same writer, the Apostle Paul, <coughs> uses the same phrase in the Bible. And um, this phrase is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 15. Can we put it up? Romans chapter 10, verses 15. And this is what it says. Here the Apostle Paul writes the same thing. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of peace. Okay? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of peace. Now, this is an allusion to ancient war communication. In wartime, kingdoms who sent off their soldiers for battle waited for news because the destiny of their kingdom depended on who won or who lost. And so after the battle was pretty much set, uh, the soldiers would send runners with news, either good news or bad news. Now, these runners, if it was bad news, many times they would get to their kingdoms and they would be executed because, you know, and it was totally unfair. Come on. They weren't the people that, that, that lost the war, but they were executed because they brought bad news. As a matter of fact, this is where we get the phrase, don't kill the, okay, you guys know this, don't shoot the messenger, don't kill the messenger, because that happened a lot of times, okay? And so this affected the runner. I'm sure it would affect you if you had to run. And this affected them with great burden. And so here is the point. The city lookout could determine the outcome of a battle even before the messenger got there. They could tell by the way the runners ran. If it was bad news, they ran slowly. They ran with insecurity and fearfulness. They were burdened because they might just lose their head for it. If it was good news, there would be a spring in their step. There would be a, there would be a bounce to their gait. They would run joyously and excitably and with confidence. Paul is saying nothing looks more beautiful than a runner who's bringing good news of peace. Let me share this with you. The key to standing firm is, our, is confidence in our relationship with God. How do we run? Do we run confidently? Do we run with joy? Are we excited? Do we bring good news of peace? Why is that important? It's because the enemy attacks us at our foundation, at our relationship with God. And he has so many schemes at his disposal. He uses the caltrops of insecurity, of guilt, of apathy, of condemnation, of confusion. You see, these are all landmines. They're all foot traps to debilitate you from the victory that you need to have in the Christian life. 
And can I share this with you? Beloved, you will not stand firm if you do not have confidence in your peace with God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, we're not talking about your eternal salvation again. I need to share this. If you're a Christian, there is no condemnation for you. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1 through 5, uh, here Paul takes great pains to share that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that you're born into God's family, that you are a royal uh, child of the king, that your eternity is secure. So your justification is never in jeopardy, child of God. But let me share this. Your sanctification can be affected by sin, right? As a child of God, your justification is never in jeopardy. But as a soldier of Jesus Christ, your sanctification can be affected by sin. Let me share a story with you. My fondest memory of childhood is actually of my father. And um, uh, a, spe a specific thing with my father, and that is his payday, okay? Dad's payday was something that we always look forward to. Now, why do you say that? Well, because once a month on uh, the Saturday of, our pay, of his payday, our payday, it's basically our payday, okay? His payday, <laughs> he took our family to Ponderosa Steakhouse, okay? Kind of like a sizzler that we would have here in California. He would take us to Ponderosa Steakhouse, and he would treat us to whatever we wanted to eat. So I get the same thing every month, okay, on that Saturday. I get a T-bone steak with mushroom gravy, baked potato with everything, and a caramel sundae with nuts, okay? I would get that every time. And my brother, who cares what he got, but he got something. Everybody got something, right? So he would take our family to Ponderosa, and then he would take us to the movie theaters, to Southwick Mall, the movie theaters, and we'd go see a Disney movie for that month. Maybe it's Herbie, The Love Bug, or Pete's Dragon, or The Rescuers, okay? Stuff that you've never heard of, but back then, <laughs> it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Trust me, okay? All right, so dad's payday, that's what we would do. <coughs> and my dad was a very quiet man, few words. He's not relational at all. Didn't come to my sports games, didn't talk about life with me, <laughs> just a really quiet man. But his way of showing love was always providing for us. And my dad loves to eat a lot, okay? And so we treasured payday because, man, it was a time when really my dad showed love to us, okay? Well, one day, my brother and I, uh, Emmanuel, we're playing Batman and Robin uh, outside, and I had a slingshot, the bat slingshot, okay? And I uh, broke the window of our house. Actually, my brother and I, we both broke the window of the house, and it happened on the Friday of payday, okay? So imagine this, okay? This happened, and we're all scared what's going to happen. Dad's going to punish us and all that. Uh, so when Dad came home, he asked if we broke the window, and we said, no, no. <laughs> Maybe a bird, maybe, maybe it's a bird or something like that. We don't know, you know. And my dad, I remember, he's a man of few words. He just, he just sighed, and then he went away, right? And so for a couple weeks, right, it was payday, and we didn't get Ponderosa. We didn't get movies. For a couple weeks, we're like that. So we're like, Dad, uh, are you going to take us to Ponderosa? And he looked at us and goes, no, right? And we knew, oh, he knows, he knows. But we were all like, should we tell him? We might, we might get spanked, right? We may... We, we may get punished, or, but, you know, we wanted our dad's love, right? T-bone steaks and movies. <laughs> we wanted that, and so we finally told him. And you know what our dad did? He gave us a big hug after we told him. And then he spanked us, okay? <laughs> he gave us a big hug and, and spanked Because my dad's like that, okay? Um, <laughs> but here, here's the crazy thing. And then he took us to Ponderosa, right? It was, it, was, it was amazing. We cried and we laughed. It was, it was all just a huge deal, okay? But... 
We finally confessed it, and he was able to <coughs> sigh relief and take us and, and bless us. But I, I'll never forget what he said to me. Uh, and he says this. Uh, he, he said a lot like in my years. He said, David, he goes, get your mind right. You know, uh, the Korean word is chungshin chere, right? Uh, the phrase. Oh, some of you know, okay? Chungshin, get your mind right. And then he said this to me. He said, you're, you're my firstborn. If you hide or cover up things, you won't be happy and I won't be happy. And I never forgot that, right? If I try to cover up or I try to hide, two things are going to happen, right? I'm not going to be happy and you're not going to be happy. And you, that's so true. There's no peace until a relationship is restored. How do I put on the shoes of peace? It's daily confession and repentance of sin. The word readiness means to be alert. Be alert to confess and to repent of sins in your life. Confession is keeping short accounts with God. It's telling God when you failed. It's allowing the Lord, uh, it's allowing to agree with the Lord on whatever sins uh, that have plagued you and that you've fallen in in your life. And also repentance, willfully turning from that sin. You know, uh, Pastor Wilson did such a great job with uh, Psalm 51 and the life of King David. But let me just kind of share this with you. Uh, King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he tried to hide it, didn't he? He tried to cover it up. And his relationship with God suffered. And Pastor Wilson did a great job highlighting that. He found no peace until he confessed and he repented. And Psalm 51 was his confession. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Here David wanted to confess and repent because there was no joy without getting it all out there. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. When I hid my sin from the Lord, my bones were in agony. My soul was in deep anguish. You see, it's not until we confess and repent that we find a confidence to stand firm in our Christian lives. 1 John 1, 9 puts it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, the next one, the shield of faith. Shield of faith. In verse 16, it says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman shield, called the scutum, if we could show a picture of that, was one of the most identifiable items of a Roman legionnaire. The scutum literally means to cover and to protect. The shield was massive. It was a four foot by two foot small door that the Roman soldier would carry that would cover and protect the entire person. And remember the Roman strategy, the first clip showed us, was the Roman wall that soldiers would position their shields side by side and use their shields to form an enclosure. Sometimes they would use a specific enclosure called the testudo. Remember that first clip, the tortoise formation that would protect them from the enemy arrows and the onslaught that would come. The legionary would lift up and hide behind their scutum. Now, what is our scutum? Our scutum is faith. It's faith. And the faith is only as good as its object. So who is the object of our faith? Well, it's God. If I can just share a couple psalms. Psalm 3 and verse 3 says, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. Psalm 28 and verse 7 says, The Lord is my shield, my heart trusts in him. 
Psalm 33 and verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our shield. Psalm uh, 84, 11, for the Lord God is a shield. You see, God is who we hide behind and who we're covered by in order to be protected. Now, what is the scutum of faith? Well, it's faith in God. That's what our shield is. It's personal trust in God and in his character. And you know, the enemy so attacks our faith. First Peter chapter 5, 8 and 9 says this. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9 says, resist him. Well, how do we resist him? By standing firm in your faith. The enemy's strategy is to shoot fiery arrows of doubt. <clears throat> now, some of these enemies, what they would do is they would take their uh, arrows and they would dip them in pitch and they would light them on fire. And it almost, it almost uh, kind of created uh, these missiles. They were able to launch and anything it hit, whether it's clothing or wood or any dry grass, it would just inflame. And so the purpose of a fiery arrow was to inflame and then to spread that flame until finally it consumed the soldier. It didn't have to hit them. All it had to do was come close to them and kind of inflame that area. So the soldier had to use that shield to extinguish that flame. Now, how does that work spiritually? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. Here we see that Satan attacks Adam and Eve's faith. So that even from the beginning, Satan used this strategy of flaming arrows. And he tempts them <coughs> to doubt God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, I just want to read a few verses so that you understand these fiery arrows. The first fiery arrow is found in verse 1. Did God really say that you must not eat? What was Satan doing? The first fiery arrow was doubting God's word. Did God really mean that? Can you really trust the word of God? Does it really make sense in the situation that you're finding yourself in? Right? Doubt God's word. Uh, let's look in verse 4. You will not certainly die, for God knows your eyes will be open. Number two, doubt God's love. God is withholding something from you. Is he really doing this for you, or is it all about him? If he really cares for you, He'd give you what, uh, what you desire, wouldn't he? Right? And so we see that. God is withholding something from you. Doubt God's love. Now let's look in verse 5. It says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The third fiery arrow. Doubt God's plan. You know, God's plan sounds a little excessive and even oppressive. Is this really the best plan that he has for you? Are you fulfilled not eating the fruit of the tree? Don't you feel like you're missing out? Doesn't God, God doesn't want you to be like him. And so he's jealous and envious. He doesn't want you to be like him at all. And so that's why he's doing what he's doing. That's how the enemy attacks us. Doubt God's word. Doubt God's love. Doubt God's plan. And that's how the enemy attacks us even today. And we see that just like the fiery arrows that the, uh, the, the enemies would shoot at the Roman legions. First it inflamed Eve, and then it spread to Adam, this fire, until it consumed both of them, and they fell into sin, and really all of humanity as a result. The fiery arrows of the enemy can really destroy us. So how do I put on the shield of faith? 
How do I put it on? You must constantly and consistently trust God instead of doubting him. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you want to know how to put on the shield of faith, constantly and consistently trust God instead of doubting him. I'm going to close with this passage, but I think it would be such a help to us. Matthew chapter 4, okay? We looked at Genesis chapter 3. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 4. And here Satan uses the same trick, those same fiery arrows to attack Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ in the New Testament is called the second Adam? Right? Because the first Adam failed where the second Adam succeeds. The first Adam uh, initiated the fall where the second Adam rescues us from the fall. And so this is very interesting. Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 could be compared side by side where Satan uses the same fiery arrows to attack the second Adam. Uh, verse 2, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, he was tempted by the devil. So just as the devil tempted Adam and Eve, here he tempts uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, he was hungry. So the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, make these stones bread. What was Satan saying? Doubt God's love. You are the Messiah and God has left you hungry? You are the perfect and beloved son of God. You came to this earth for them and yet God won't lift a finger to help you in your time of need? You shouldn't go hungry. You shouldn't want for anything at all. If he really cared, he wouldn't hold anything from you. You should have what you deserve. Go make some bread. Right? That is the doubt of God's love. What was Jesus' response? His response was trust God's love. He puts up the shield of faith. In verse 4, Jesus answered, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. Jesus says, I desire God's words of love above my own food, right? Okay, let's look. Let's continue. Verse 5, the devil took him to the highest point of the temple. Verse 6, if you are the son of God, jump down and the angels will come and protect you, scripture says. What was Satan saying? He was saying, doubt God's word. You are the Messiah and nobody knows it. You've been relegated to obscurity for 30 years. <clears throat> By now, you should be famous. You created the world. You have superpowers. You should be known and adored by millions of people. I have an idea. Let's do a TikTok event. Jump off the most recognizable, most precious building in all of the Jewish people. Jump off the temple. And you know what? When, you, when they find that you, don't, that, that you don't get hurt, that you don't die, and maybe the angels come and rescue you, it'll go so viral that fame will immediately flood into your life, and you will be known. God promised that at your name, every knee will bow. <clears throat> He's been promising this forever. Why can't he keep his word to you? And what was Jesus' response? Trust God's word. Here he puts up the shield of faith. Verse 7, don't put God to a foolish, foolish test. What was Jesus saying? God's word is what I'll trust in, not some publicity stunt, right? Okay, let's look. Verse 8, it continues. The devil showed him <coughs> all the kingdom of the world. And he says, I'll give it to you if you worship me. What is the devil saying? Doubt God's plan. If you are, you are Messiah, you're the rightful king of this world. Why hasn't God given it to you yet? What is his plan? To die on a cross? How shameful. How painful. 
There's a flaw in his plan. God is so oppressive to make you have to go through this. My plan is better. It involves no cross for you, Jesus. Just show me some respect. Worship me as the God of this world, and I'll give you the world without a fight, right? There's a peaceful transition of power that can happen if you just bow and worship me. What was Jesus' response? Trust God's plan. Here he puts up the shield of faith. Verse 10, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What was he saying? I will worship the Lord and his sovereign plans over my life. Do you see how he uses the shield of faith? And every time Satan shoots his fiery arrows, Jesus holds up the shield of faith. And he's able to extinguish all those flaming arrows that the evil one sends. You must constantly and consistently trust God instead of doubting him. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, soldiers of God, take that with you. Use it in your life. And then next week, I'll give you two more, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that it's intensely practical for us. You didn't give us a manual so that we just... Uh, read about it in our ivory towers and pontificate about it, Lord, and just kind of talk about it as an intellectual exercise. But you gave it to us so we could use it right now in the battle that we face. We thank you and we praise you and we ask you to allow us to feed on it. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.